What I want to do is lay out uh, an opening question, and then I want to go through some um, traditional Rishonim and Achronim approaching that question, and then I want to go take a much broader view of the of the issue. Right? Those Rishonim, or at least, will present themselves as just commenting on a specific pasuk, but I want to take a look at the totality of the narrative, and then I want to offer um, at least two ways of reading the bigger narrative and see how you right, see, see how you buy into them. One of them is from uh, Rabbi Esther, Rebetzin Esther Rubinstein, uh, who was the uh, Rebetzin of Vilna, I guess called the wife of the chief rabbi of Vilna in, from 1910 until her death in 1924. Uh, that will, that, that uh, will also be explored much more extensively in my essay this week. And the other is based on a theory I developed in an essay you can find on, on the CMTL site. We'll see if it holds up to, uh, to, critical, to critical analysis. Okay, so let's take a look at the um, beginning of the uh, beginning of the Makara set. Um, so the second we're focused, the second we're focusing on here on uh, on page one of the, of the sheet is the section where Avram instructs his Evid. We can assume here because it doesn't affect us in any way. I don't think that the Evid is Eliezer. Um, to find a wife for Yitzhak, right? So here we go. So Abraham is elderly, right? Baba Yamin, whatever that means. And Hashem blesses him with everything, whatever that means. And Hashem says to Avdo, Zakan Beto Moshel Bechol Asherlo. And I think there is a conscious irony in in Eved HaMoshel, right? Uh, right yeah, both sharp, right? A, serv a servant to rules. Um, but I don't think that matters to us so much here um, either. And he asks him to swear, which is also a, a gesture uh, both of subordination and empowerment. It's a gesture of subordination because it asks right, both the specific gesture of putting your hand underneath uh, whatever, right underneath your thigh, whatever it is, is a gesture of subordination. And also it binds you to fulfill some other, someone else's will. But on the other hand, the fact that you require someone else to swear implies that just the fact that of your social position is not sufficient to impose on you. It says, and I will make right, and I'll put you right, put you under oath to God of heaven and earth. And here's what the oath says, right? Asher lo tikach isha livni mibnos haknaani asher anochi yoshev bekirbo. You should not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the the knaani asher anochi yoshev bekirbo in whose midst I dwell. Rather, rather you must go back to my Eretz and to my Melitid. So the issues that want that I want to focus on are number one, um, what is what is what is the addition of Asher Nochi Yosheiv Bekerbo? Why doesn't it just say Asher Lo Tikachi Shalivni Mi Benos Haknaani? We can also point out right that it's Mi Benos Haknaani and not Mi Benos Haknaanim or Mi Benos Kenan in this version. So right, mate, right. So it's a singular. That's also a really interesting thing. And then it says, So to say that rather you, right, you have to go back to my, uh, you have to go back to my land and my uh, my homeland and my culture. So that seems to me to be a very conscious reversal of what Hashem said to Avram. Right? Hashem said, "Arm lechlecha, me'artzcha, u'mimolatcha, mi'beisavicha." And Avram now sends Eliezer back to Artso Molato. And in the end, Eliezer doesn't only go back to Arzomolato, but Eliezer goes back to Beit David. So the quest, the big picture question that interests me is 
what sense does it make for Avraham not to send Yitzchak back, but to send right, but to bring his Eretz Emeletet and Beit Av as as it were to Yitzchak, when it sounds seems like God's whole effort was to get Avraham away from it. So it seems like there has to be a certain amount of ambivalence. Um, or we can ask the question another way, right? If it turns out that uh, the Canaanites, that, right, that it turns out as bad as where God took Avram uh, away from was, so bad that he had to tell him, as bad as that is, well, you know what? It's not anywhere near as bad as Canaan, such that for right, such that the only way, right, when it comes to get to take a wife, let's go back to the terrible place we had to have Avram leave. But if we had to have Avram leave it, then what's the point of uh, right? You know, why, well, why would we tell Avram to go someplace even worse? Okay, those are opening questions. I'll take uh, if anybody has comments now um, on the on the opening. That would be that would be fine. Okay, so we'll we'll go on. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay. So right, so you know you have to try and think maybe you know Shidduch mode is different than every other aspect of life. It's certainly true that Avram you know Avram tells tells Eliezer that better right better have better have um better better, better find a local wife for Yitzchak than send Yitzchak there. So you know, that right so it seems like the ability to control the environment is a big deal and that's a that's a relevant consideration. And then you know the interesting question is what does um if I were an influencer, why was it necessary for him to leave? There's a, uh, a famous, possibly apocryphal dialogue between um, Rev, um, Rev, um, Rev. Israel Salanter and one of his students when he, Rev. Israel Salanter was asked why he was moving from Eastern Europe to uh, to Western Europe to start the Muslim movement, you know, to, to promote the Muslim movement. Uh, after a long time in Eastern Europe, he moved to Western Europe. And the answer, allegedly uh, you know, or not, the answer that was given uh, was that well, I think I actually saw it inside, uh, so I don't think I don't think it's entirely apocryphal, though there are different versions of it. Um, so the answer was that you know if you have a bunch of runaway horses on the way down a hill, it's really hard to stop them when they're, when they're on their way down the hill. What you should do is wait till they get to the bottom of the hill and then turn around right, and then turn them around and try and get them to start going back up. So he said in Eastern Europe they're still rushing downhill, uh, right? So they're higher on the hill, but they're rushing downhill. Whereas in Western Europe, they've already hit the bottom. They've already hit the bottom of the hill, and, it's, and I can try to turn them around. So we might think, right, that Avram, that you know, that maybe, um, maybe the place where Avram left, possibly because of his influence, was still a better place than Canaan. But Canaan had hit bottom, so it was right. So there was a chance of turning it around. All right, that's also uh, 
Also possible. Okay, excellent. Let's take a look at a bunch of um, traditional uh, comments. So the first one we have is from Sadiagon. Sadiagon says, Asher anuchi yoshev bikirbo, kilomar hayot vanib b'shchenotam, b'shchenotam, right? Ani yodayat maseyem. So Rav says, look, I, know, I live amongst them. Don't tell me that I'm misjudging them. I live amongst them. I know them well. The Kliyakar has a fancier interpretation in which Asher anuchi yoshev bikirbo means that I am really inside them, right? You know, the Avram has Ruach HaKodesh, and he's capable of really knowing really knowing what their insides are. Okay, so one interpretation is, it sounds like Canaan, that Canaan uh, is worse than wherever Avram is sending Eliezer to, and that's why Avram wants a wife from there. Okay, but Midrash Rabbah has a different reading of Asher Nechir Shev B'Kirbo. It says, Asher Lotikach, his hero, Shalei Yelech El Benot Aner Mamre. He's warning them, not to go to is telling Eliezer, don't try and marry uh, and marry my son off to the daughters of the people I am actually staying with, right? So it's Hakinaani Asher is not the general Canaanites, but the Canaanites whom I am living amongst, um, those specifically. But it doesn't tell you why not. Um, and the the Midrash Seichelto, which is not actually you know, which is medieval, I believe, says he's here. So this is a really interesting claim, right? He warns Eliezer, don't let Yitzchak marry a daughter of Aner Shkolam Amrei, even though they are really righteous. So that's really, uh, right? That's really an odd thing. Like why it suggests that whatever the reason is for um, for not marrying the not marrying Canaanite women does not have to do with it's explicit it doesn't have to do with their terrible character uh, so you have to figure out another reason for it we could say that seed is only relative right everyone is really terrible but the language that Midrash uses seed and we have no criticism on Ereshkel and Mamre anywhere re, re, at least we'll have to look and see there's no explicit criticism of Ereshkel and Mamre um, in the text so we have to figure out some other reason that Avram wouldn't want his son to marry their daughters and then we say, that, right, then the problem is, if that's what he means, so why not just send Eliezer to all the other Canaanites? Why does he have to send them all the way back to wherever he sends him? So that's why the Seichel Tov solves it by saying, the so obviously it applies to all the Canaanites. It's two separate clauses, even those Asherah Yoshev Bikribo. So A, this may not be a terribly convincing reading, and B, it really raises the question, why not if there's two Kanayot? Okay, the Malbim says the following. Uh, Avram believed that God had sent him to this land, the land of Canaan, in order to improve the characteristics of the people living there. God saw how terrible they were, the, the, the corruption of their culture. Right? So God sent him uh, there to try and fix them, maybe with a Charles Lanter theory that their culture had bought them and he could fix them. Right, so Avram's this thing, right, it doesn't really fit into Asher Nehoshev Bikirbo at all, except in the sense that the way Malvam, I think, is trying to read this is that Avram says, the fact that I am dwelling amongst them because God told me to, is proof that they must be the worst culture in the world. 
Because where would God send me other than the worst culture in the world? And that, again, maybe it's a Salantra's theory. Maybe it's just because Avram thinks that God sends him wherever it's worse because God doesn't want to destroy the culture. And um, right, and this is after the destruction of stone. So in, Avram, in this theory, Avram sees the destruction of stone as a failure of mission. And he understands that his mission is to keep the worst cultures in the world at least just above the threshold of destruction. And based on that, he is supposed to, um, he doesn't want to get an order from them. So this is really interesting in a sense, it's the exact opposite of Sadiagon. Sadiagon says that Avram makes this statement based on his own evaluation of Canaanite culture, whereas the Malvin says, no, Avram has no independent evaluation of the Canaanite culture. He's deducing how terrible the Canaanite culture is from God's instructions, which is a very uh, which is a very peculiar, uh, very peculiar position, I have to say. I'm not sure how to um, how to deal with that. Except, you know, so for me, the the interesting part of it is so we have the seichel tov saying that the daughters of Anirish Kol and Mamre are actually righteous, and the Malbim say that Avram doesn't really know whether they're righteous or not. Um, of his own experience, he's just making a uh, he's stereotyping, I guess, based on God's instruction to him. Okay, the Radak says yeah, Canaan is Arur and Avram is Baruch, and they can't mix. I, I'm not going to deal with that um, in the context of the Shir. Um, the Chizkuni introduces a, a different theory entirely. The Chizkuni says, So the, right, so the, um, the Chizkuni says that Avram has a political motive for not marrying Yitzchak to somebody local. If he marries Yosef to somebody local, that will uh, muddy the waters. But whether he has the land directly from God, or by inheriting it from uh, by inheriting it from another uh, from another human being, and perhaps this ties into uh, what he says to Melchstom, below Tamar Abram, right? Nobody should say that, right? And that that and you can say, oh, that that's only true of Melchstom. It's not true about the king of Egypt, where he accepts many gifts from, because that's not in Eretz Yisrael. So you could try and right, make the interesting claim. Um, we have to parallel that with Avram going out of his, or at least have to contrast, compare and contrast with Avram going out of his way to buy Merata Machpelah so that his purchase will be legitimate. Um, so it's an interesting theory. The um, the uh, the counterclaim, which I think is really fascinating, is in Shadal. Uh, right, Shadal is uh, Shindal Lutzado. Is that uh, I think I always get there. I think 19th century Prague. Um, so he says the following, if Avram had in fact intermarried with the Canaanites, then the, right, then the Jews would not be entitled, right? it would not be, would not be um, fit. Right? Is, a challenging, is a challenging word to translate precisely. Um, so I'll leave it for you. You can look it up and say which word you think, right? But um, because if Jews are in fact related to Canaanites, then how could they launch a war of uh, right, of expulsion? Just like the Jews are instructed not to go to war with those other surrounding nations that have some kind of blood relationship with the right with the with the Jewish people, so that would apply to Canaan as well. Um, right, so that's his um, right. So that's his his first reason, which is in a sense the. Opposite of Chizkuni. Chizkuni says that it would make it too easy for Avram to inherit the land because he could claim a right. He could claim some kind of birthright, and that would muddy the waters. And a Kohen if you actually intermarried with 
Abraham is consciously avoiding intermarriage because intermarriage would come, would bear with it responsibilities towards the other that he is not willing to accept. Uh, right? He says also right, that um, the Torah, right? He says the Torah goes through this great long story. The Shadal draws through a, uh, you know, draws a contemporary moral saying the Torah goes through the story to warn us that we should not intermarry either. Um, but it's really hard to figure out how that moral plays out because we don't have these issues. Uh, you know, there's no there's no issues at all outside of Israel in the rationale he gives. So Shadal is um, very very puzzling to me. Um, so what do you take? I mean, how do you, how do you how do you deal with um, both of these rationales? How do you deal with, with Chizkuni's rationale that Avram Dafka wants to avoid having a non-divine title to the land? And on the other hand, how do you deal with Shadal's claim that Avram has to avoid any human interaction because human interactions create responsibilities, and if there are responsibilities, then there are things that even though they would, I guess, even if though they were divine commands, or even though they're part of the divine plan. Uh, I don't know if there would be a command or not, but they're part of the divine plan. We would look at it and say, okay, the divine plan can't go against ethics in the same way as Yoshua can't wipe out the Givonim once he swears to them. Um, because it's true that, you know, that God said, but we promised, and you can't break your promise. So how do you react to this? All right, can't have dead air today because <laughs> we go because we because this goes uh, to Shiva Duark. So I'll wait for responses later. You're welcome to put responses in the uh, in the chat as well. Yes. Yeah. How do you? What do you think of? What do you think of Shadal's claim? That right, that the ban on intermarriage, from Avram's perspective in Canaan, the ban on, mar- on, on intermarriage that is in Canaan is so as to avoid having uh, right developing a relationship with them that would then prevent you from driving them out later. Yeah, that's an interesting notion, right? That you know that that because they're family, so what they do becomes much less important, right? That's right. That's you know that's a really particularly this is Avram, right? You know, you know, I guess, right? You put it in the context. This is Avram who's supposed to leave Right. So there's right. So there's a whole tension here about the relation, about the extent to which family, because by leaving his, you know, this is the issue Ramban deals with, right? What about Kibbutz Avaim? Right? How could Avram leave Terach? Uh, right? Ramban says the reason that the Torah has this really confusing narrative about when Avram really leaves Terach um, is because it doesn't want to create the impression that Avram was not fulfilling Kibbut Avaim uh, for part of that period, because telling somebody to leave their parents is telling them to, you know, to abandon the obligations of kinship. Um, so here you have, right, you, know, you have this notion that the obligations of kinship are really, really powerful. But you can avoid, you right, you know, 
nonetheless, God tells him you can leave, right? That's an issue that comes up in Hilchot Kibbutz Aim also, right? You know, in certain cases, there the obligation of Kibbutz Aim only applies if you're present. So maybe you have a right to leave, um, and that maybe that gets rid of the obligations. Maybe it doesn't. And on the other hand, um, maybe sometimes you just don't develop the relationship. But that's a really scary notion. You know, that it doesn't lead to good things in practice when you avoid developing relationships with people, because that way you can hurt them. Uh, right. That's a. Uh, I had a very morally challenging notion. I think it's fascinating that Shadal uh, says it. I find it a very morally challenging uh, notion, and as a rationale for avoiding contemporary intermarriage, it strikes me as a very, very poor uh, rationale for uh, for avoiding intermarriage. Is it kind of uh, astonished that he would give it? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, you know, we could have fun. Yeah, we could have fun asking the question, right? You know, maybe those people who are, you know, those people who are bothered by the mitzvah mechiyad amalek should go find amalekim to marry, and then, right, then they won't be chayev. <laughs> if I were to try to play that out, right, I could do that. Uh, I agree with you, though. It's it's probably not generalizable, but I'm not so happy just saying, well, he had a divine command, so it's different, right? That that goes back to the akeda, right, about whether divine commands. Are uh, you know lead to suspensions of the ethic of the ethical or not? And I prefer uh, very much to say that they um, that they don't. Okay, great. Let's go on to page two. Okay, so the um, the Ralbag says the following: Right. So Ralbag says that really what we learn from the story is not an opposition to it's not an opposition to intermarriage, but a favoring of Endogamy, where you should marry people in your family. Because he thinks that marrying family is really good genetically. So this is one of those examples, uh, which I usually like bringing up, that the attempts to connect, um, attempts to connect halacha to science and that give scientific rationales are things that are always very popular in the moment and generally really, really unwise in the long term. Because what people believe is um, practically a good idea it changes very much. And so here you have the Rabbah saying, well, the reason to encourage, you know, to encourage marriage in the family is because it's really good because the, the, uh, right, the children will come out healthier. And we now have the exact opposite perspective on genetics. But that's a really terrible idea. Okay, so so much for, you know, Rabag is, you know, in his time, Rabag was the very, very hip modern orthodox response, right? Look, we're going to integrate Torah and science. And uh, I, I think that is... Often a uh, often a very poor idea because um, the science of the times is not going to is not going to still uh, make the same recommendations in 600 years and then you're going to look really silly. Okay, the Kliakar has a wilder um, a wilder answer. Um, he says that um, right. It says Asher What does that mean? We already know that we're out from staying. So he says the reason is that obviously. The reason that God that Avram tells Eliezer not to do that is because Penny Lamadi Masehem, he's afraid that 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 Yitzchak will learn from their actions. Uh, right? That's what the Torah says, don't intermarry, because right, if you intermarry, then the other side will influence your children. Um, but then the Kliakar asks the question, hang on a sec, but Levana Bituel? I read my Haggadah, Levan Bikesh Lakor Takol. Betuel doesn't come across as a hero in 
anything in rabbinic literature. So why would Avram, if the purpose of avoiding intermarriage is to avoid influence of evil, why is sending them to Lavan and Betuel a, uh, a better solution? So his answer is, um, well, if he marries a local Canaanite, so he'll live with them, and that's the, right, and that will increase the influence. Now, if he goes to Lavan and lives with them, that will also, right, then he'll live with them, but also increase the influence. The only solution is to bring a to, to bring a wife from far away to live with us, and that way she'll be influenced by our culture more than we'll be influenced by her culture. And then he has this fascinating but terrifying notion. Uh, and he says, you know, you know what? This is a really good idea because the, there's still a risk. Yitzchak's still living in Canaan. So even if he's not married to a Canaanite, maybe he'll be influenced by the Canaanite. So the answer is no, but they'll be so mad at him for marrying an outside wife that he's going to be fighting with them and therefore they won't have the opportunity to influence him at all. Uh, that's, that I think is just a terrifying rationale, right? A rationale against intermarriage or the purpose to avoid intermarriage is dafka to create anti-Semitism. Uh, right? that's, that, that I think is the... We have not one of the best answers in the world at all. Um, and then the um, the Kliakar tries a um, tries a second right tries a second right, just so you see the line and make it up says I mean Akhani lo yilmod Yitzchok won't learn from the Canaanites Kilo yellow hit arvut imahem he won't have any uh, mixing with them the Adarab but on the contrary Yistimuoto they'll hate him Alasher lo ratzali chatenbam because he refused to marry with them. Okay, and then he says, oh, what about the genetics? So he has his own genetic explanation, which is that uh, genetics, that uh, genetic tendencies towards sin that arise uh, from physical desires are transmissible, but right, they're genetic, right? Uh, desires, physical desires are transmissible, but intellectual errors, uh, such as, and he, and he frames Avodazara as an intellectual error, that's not transmissible. And the Canaanites, he thinks, are subject to Gross appetite, uh, gross appetites, whereas the Lavana Betuel are just uh, liars and idolaters, and so therefore Lavana Betuel's characteristics are, over, are overcomable by nurture, whereas Canaanites um, are not overcomable by nurture. So that's a really interesting theory. You can decide for yourself whether you think that's true uh, or not. What kind, what aspects of character you think are biologically determined and transmissible, and what aspects of character uh, you think um, are not. But it also depends on a, a claim. That I don't think is verified anywhere in the text, which is that the Canaanites at that time were already engaged in um, in utterly inappropriate um, physical desires, um, particularly sexual practices. There's no evidence anywhere in the text, right? So this is the this is the move I want to make. That there are um, the problem is what everybody says is everybody understands that we have to find a, a reason that is better to send somebody back where Avram came from, as opposed to the locals. So you can try and so you can try and say, well, it's always good to marry family, but that rationale didn't seem to, doesn't seem to hold up very, uh, very well. You can say the Canaanites are physically horrible and the, and the, uh, and whereas the people Avram came from are only, uh, are only intellectually horrible. We don't find any, any evidence about the Canaanites being physically horrible. And that's, the proof of that is the position of the Malbim that Avram doesn't know anything about the Canaanites being horrible. He just sort of has to deduce it from his um, from his surroundings. Um, and overall, I think what you get, is, right? You have right. You even have the claim of the uh, of the Seichel Tov that the daughters of Anerish Gol and Mamre are um, are fully are fully righteous. Um, so you have a you you have the political rationale, which you, I think is open to question about whether. He, 
whether right, Avram doesn't want to muddy the waters, whether Avram, right, I think the really interesting claim that Avram doesn't want to be under ethical obligations to the locals, which is a very problematic claim. At the end of the day, I think my contention is that we don't have a really good explanation. Um, and what none of these explanations do, I think, well at all, is account for the, the what seems to me the clear uh, like antithetical parallelism between the command of Lech Lecha and the counter command of Ki Elativa Molati Elech, right? None of these really, right? No, no, none of the commentaries that I can see really expresses well that, right, in a way that says the reason that, that Avram had to leave is the same reason that Yitzchak, that Yitzchak's wife has to come from there. Right? I think that's what a good explanation would meet that test, uh, right? It would, it would, right? It would, it would, it would put those two phenomena on the same axis. And, um, and I don't think that any of the explanations we have so far have succeeded in um, have succeeded in doing that. So now, with that, I want to turn to the uh, to the evidence um, and just go through the narrative with you. And let's see, right? This starts on page three of the source sheet. And let's see what we have in the um, what we have in the narrative and what pieces of evidence might support things. What piece, piece of evidence might not? So we start in Lech Lecha. Right? You all remember what the command of Lech Lecha is, right? Where uh, Avram leaves in Eretz, Moledet, and Beit Av in order to go to a different Eretz. You can't be without an Eretz because you got to be somewhere. Uh, but presumably, right, he's supposed to abandon that Moledet and Beit Av and create a new one. So that's challenging as to why he goes back to a right, uh, to his old Moledet and Beit Av for the wife. Um, we do find something interesting, which is that it says, Aknani az ba'aretz, um, at the time that Avram first shows up in the land, uh, probably most of you are familiar with the Ibn Ezra lays out the two options, whether Akhtaniyaz Baritz means the Canaanites were in the land then, but the time the Torah is written, the Canaanites are not in the land. Uh, right? That's a little problematic because of the time that Moshe of, of Harsinai, the Canaanites are in the land. So that's right, that's uh, the thing that Spinoza builds up to create an attack on the Mosaic authorship of Torah. And Ezra's other possibility, which I find much more convincing, is that it means the Canaanites were, were already in the land, meaning they had not been there previously, and that the the evidence I like to bring for that is that um, exactly a parak later, when there's a fight between Mekne Abraham and Mekne Lot, we have a Kananiva Prizi as Yosef Baritz. Right? So it seems like right, the, the way Chazal read it, which I think is convincing, is that at the time that Avram comes into Eretz Yisrael, there's an ongoing infiltration of the, uh, right, of the Canaanites. Uh, and the Canaanites are not actually the people amongst whom Avram is living in the sense of the actual of the aborigines of the land all right so that's a that's right that could complicate the politics of it okay so now what happens there's a famine in the land right avram goes down to egypt to live there because there's a famine and as soon as he comes to egypt he tells sarah his wife right right you know i just realized you're beautiful right or i know really that you're beautiful and you get to egypt and everybody's going to uh to everybody's going to see your beauty and they're going to kill me and keep you alive, so lie and pretend you're my sister. So the thing is, right, and this is something that Deborah pointed out uh, to me earlier, is Abram does not seem to be afraid in Canaan. Right? He's lived in Canaan ready, ready, openly with his wife. So it could be that in Canaan also, if strangers come in, they maltreat you. But Abram is a stranger. He came from Haran with his wife. And when Abram came from Haran to, right, to Canaan, uh, work for it, right? Nobody said, oh, look, there's a beautiful woman. Let's kill her husband. Right? Nobody ever said that Sarah claims she's right. So it seems like Canaan is at least better than Mitzrayim. 
at least in this way. And if the point of the text is to tell us that Canaan is the worst culture in the world, so it's not doing a very good job for us because um, it seems like Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim is worse. Okay. Then, um, right after he comes back from Egypt and there's a fight, the blow, we already talked about and Avram and Lot separate. Now we're in Gimel. In the end of Gimel, we see the people of Stone are really terrible. Well, the people of Stone are really terrible. That means they're much worse than everybody else in Canaan, whoever the people in Stone are. We don't know who the people in Stone are. But they're not the Canaanim whom Avram is Yoshev Bikirbo. Right? We already, right, we already met Melech um, Stone. Right, um, so the right, So it seems like there are at least two cultures that are worse than the culture that Avram is engaged in. There's the culture of Mitzrayim, where you can't walk in with a beautiful woman without, right, a man can't walk in with a beautiful woman without being, you know, if they suspect that they're married, then they'll kill him. And um, and Stelm, where you can't, where, where strangers can't walk in without being killed. And here Avram is a stranger in Canaan. We're going to get to this week's Parsha, right? And he seems to be treated well in Canaan. So that also raises a real challenge for the the narrative that Avram has to send back to his house because Canaanite culture is the um, is the, the epitome of evil. Okay, moving on. Um, right then, we find in Perigudalid right that after Lot is captured, so the police comes to uh, to uh, Avram Avri, who shochein bilanei mamreha amari achi eshkol v'achi aner v'heim ali brit Avram. So Avram is making. Uh, right, Avram is making uh, covenants with Emorim in whose land he lives. If these are really these horrible people and he's not supposed to be in a relationship with them, why isn't Avram off somewhere on a desert mountaintop? Right? Why is he staying in a settled place? Right? Of an Ereshkol and Mamre, right? He's not just staying there. It's not a purely transactional relationship. They're, they have a breed with him. They have a breed with him that they feel so strongly about that they go to war with him. Um, right, so it doesn't seem as it, right? it seems, you know, it sounds like the Natvasuk that Ashur Nachir Shev Bikirbo is not this negative thing. I, I, you know, I live among them, I know how terrible they are, but Avram actually, right, and it's not, I can't marry into them because then we won't have any relationship with them because Avram has a real relationship with them to the point that they feel compelled to go to war with him. So that also complicates the portrait, right? That raises the, that, you know, under, that makes you understand why the Seichel Tov say, says that the daughters of Anirish Kol and Mamre are presumably Tzid Kaniyot. So why doesn't Avraham? Uh, why doesn't Avraham want to marry? Want to marry into their family, right? This is a, without taking the medrash here that Balei Brit means that they advise Avraham to go through with the uh, circumcision. Okay, and then it turns out there are other people around here, right? So after the war, we meet Malki Tzedek Melech Shalem, who is a Kohen Le Yon and gives brachos, right? Uh, right, Konei right? He's, you know, so the point that Chazal identify him with Shem Ben Noach and the head, right, and the head of the Rosh Hashiva of the day. The head of the West is Um So there's another culture which seems like Shalem. Um, right? Let's assume you could identify with your Shalem or not. It's a culture, presumably in the land of Canaan, um, which is headed by a tzaddik. So it doesn't look like, you know, despite the Malmans' claim that it must be that Avram was sent here to turn around the culture, which has hit rock bottom, but not every part of the culture has hit rock bottom. Stone has hit rock bottom, but Shalem has a righteous king. So that portrait is also deeply, uh, deep is also deeply um, troubling. Um, and Avram resists uh, resists uh, Melchstone, but he also says, so He looks out for their interests. 
So that really complicates the relationship. Okay, then we have a pasuk, which I think is uh, an enormously uh, important and morally powerful pasuk. In the Brit Ben-Avatarim, right, when God appears to Avram, and he says, you must certainly know, we're on top of page four now, your, your descendants will be gerim in a land not theirs, and they'll serve them, and they or they will they will uh, master them, and they will uh, afflict them for 400 years. We don't know what land not theirs is, right? And it turns out to be ambiguous because it can be in Canaan, which is a land not yet theirs, or in Egypt, which is a land that will never be theirs. Um, the God, right? And then God will judge that the nation that that uh, masters them as well, and then they'll leave rich, and you, Avram, will die and will die in peace. The door of Yeshua and only the fourth generation, whatever that means, will come back here. Because the sin of the, Amor- of the Amorites is not complete yet. So this is a really fascinating um, portrait, right? Where we have the Amorim, and, and right, which presumably refers to the people of Anerish Golan Mamre. And there's some kind of undefined sin which God tells Avram that at some point that can be linguistically identified as Dorivi'i will be complete, at which point they will lose their title to Eretz Yisrael. But until that time, the right, the, the Amorim who have title to Eretz Yisrael now have it by right. And therefore Avram's children and right, God's promise can't be fulfilled. Right, So this is sort of the embodiment of the... Uh, right, God has... God's plan is also bounded by ethics. So God's plan is for Avram's descendants to get this land. But Avram's descendants can't get this land until the people who are currently on it no longer deserve it. So now we have a portrait of at least a part of the culture in Canaan, the part that we'll call Emory, and we don't really know how to define it, right? Because uh, if only a few weeks later, we discover that there, right, that there's Kani and Kanisi and Kadmoni and Kriti and Prizi and Rafayim and Emory and Kanani and Girgash Shiva Taibusi. So we have these terms that seem like catch-all terms, and Morim and Knanim, and then we have these specific ethnic groups. We don't know how to tie those together. But there's at least a, a culture which has title to at least part of Eretz Yisrael, enough of Eretz Yisrael that it doesn't make sense for Avram's descendants to come back until their sin is complete, which means it's not complete yet. So we can say, ah, but it's on its way to being complete. It's only, you know, 400 years away, whatever it is, 250 years or whatever, you know, so... Um, so therefore, it must really be a terrible culture. Don't marry into it. Or it could be that it's not quite a terrible culture yet. It's the reverse, uh, right? This seems to undermine my connection to the Israel Salantra story, because the uh, right because the the Torah says explicitly that this culture in Canaan has not hit the bottom of the hill yet. It's just going downhill. So why send Avram to the place which is go right from what from Western Europe to Eastern Europe in uh, in the story's framework, and then why? Go back and uh, right. Why send your? Was the culture he came from better or worse? And why send him back? We still haven't solved that problem. Okay, the, you could figure out. You can try and decide for yourself whether Hagar being um, a shifcha from Mitzrayim matters or not, and what her behavior is as follows. Uh, that's in Ted Zion. In Perich Chafal, we discover that Avram lives in Grar for quite a long time. Um, okay, so there's another place that he seems to build a relationship eventually. Um, okay, then we have Avram still being um, with Elanim Amre when Stom goes out, right? That's already something we've, we've talked about, um, that Stom seems to be much worse than every place else. And then we have the episode in the Eretz, in Eretz Plishtim, which seems to be distinct from the previous Eretz Plishtim in some ways, 
where um, here, the right here, the plishtim takes uh, right, um, or uh, takes a takes a rab, but not, but it's not clear whether Avraham's judgment of the plishtim is fair or not, because in the end, Avimelech, when God God comes to Avimelech to protect him from punishment, he agrees with Avimelech that Avimelech acted right, acted innocently, although right there are lots of ways of reading it that the innocence isn't total. And the end, Chavimelech says to Abraham, Mara ita Why did you pretend that she was your sister? And Abraham says, Because I said, there's no Yirat Elohim here, and they'll kill me. But is Abraham right or wrong? In Mitzrayim, uh, maybe he was right. Uh, maybe not even there, it's not obvious, but God punishes. Um, but, um, sorry, sorry, it's not clear in Mitzrayim. And here, um, here we don't know because we don't know what would have happened um, if um, if the if God had not intervened. We have this mysterious claim. Avram says, "When God, right? When God sent me from my Beit Av, I said this to Sarah, but it's not true, right? Because God, Avram did not say this to Sarah when God took him away from his Beit Av. He said it Dafka when he goes away from the place uh, where he left in his Beit Av, and he comes back from Mitzrayim, and it seems to have become." Habits, so we don't know. Was there really no Yirat Elohim, or is, right? Was there more Yirat Elohim back where he came from? Also very puzzling. Okay, then Avram makes a Brit with Avimelech and Pichol. They claim that Kachesed that we have done Chesed with you. Avram responds by being Mochiach them after he swears. So we don't know is it a culture that does Chesed to Avram or not. Certainly, it seems. A plausible claim that it's a culture that does chesed with Avraham because he makes a brit with them too, even though Rashbam critiques him harshly for making this brit, but that's not the consensus position. So we have yet more evidence that Avraham can be comfortable with living in Canaan, and he ends up by Yagar Avraham beris plishtim yamim rabim. Okay, then we get the Akedah, which uh, has its own uh, its own challenges. It doesn't matter to us right now. Uh, we have the episode with uh, the burial of Sarah, where Avram describes himself as a ger toshav, and maybe it's treated well, maybe not. That requires right a whole exposition as to what really is going on. Um, is Avram being treated badly? Just to, right, just people are cloaking under form of law. Is Avram being treated really well, but he does not wish to be given an achuzah? He wishes to buy it because he wants to establish a legal right, even though that's in conflict with Shaskuni's um, interpretation. Is it that they're willing to give Avram the grave, but only if he becomes more than a Gerim Toshav, becomes an actual Gerim actual uh, Toshav, like um, like as with as with the uh, people of Shechem? Right, those are all ambiguities you have to play out. But they certainly don't say no entirely, and they allow Avram to bury his dead there. So it doesn't seem it's certainly not stone. Okay, and then finally we go back to our uh, to our opening, um, or the opening thing we began with, where. Avram makes Eliezer swear. Eliezer says, maybe she won't come. And Avram says, nope. Right? Avram makes the explicit connection to Lech Lecha. Um, so, right, so don't put my son back there because Lech Lecha absolutely means that Yitzchak can't go back. Um, but I do want you to bring a wife from there. So we still have that puzzle. Um, right, point out that, that whereas Avram says, Keeps on saying Beit David Eretz Molati. Eliezer says Beit David Bel Mishpachti. So maybe he's just flattering them. Um, right? Maybe Eliezer doesn't get. It doesn't really have to be from his mishpacha. Um, or really, maybe it's really the case. 
So when Avram says Eretz Himalayan, he really means Eretz Himalayan and Beit Av as well, right? So one of the, I think, fruitful ways of exploring uh, the difference, which Nechama um, Leibowitz made a huge deal out of, the difference between uh, the way in which the story happens according to the narrator and the way in which Eliezer retells the story is the shift from Mishpa, um, from Eretz and Meledet, um to um, right to um, to uh, Mishpacha, right to Mishpacha and Beda. Okay, that's the evidence. Uh, what I want to claim based on the evidence is that there is no evidence that Canaanite is the worst culture of uh, of all of all time. And therefore, we don't have a really good explanation of of um, why he has to not marry a local, and we certainly don't have a good explanation of why he has to dafka marry somebody from a place uh, right, from a place where uh, where he was told to leave. Okay, so here are two um, big picture explanations. One of which I say is from Esther Rubinstein, and the other is from an old article of mine. Uh, so. Uh, Esther uh, Rubinstein uh, said um, that the reason that, that the, um, the difference between the culture where Avram came from and the culture where he is, is the way in which women are treated. And Avram comes from a culture where women are treated as equals. And that's why Sarah is an equal partner throughout his life. And even Kolashir, right? Kolashir to Marlach, Sarah, uh, she has an interesting agadita, which I have to think, think whether it's actually whether it relate it's actually chat or not. Uh, in which the 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 Matbeish Avraham Avinu shows a zakenu's kena on one side and a bachur and bachura on the other side that tells you that the 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 lead, the motif of Avraham Avinu is equal partnerships to men and women at every stage of life. Uh, right, which is a which is a really cool and um, an interesting idea. Uh, right, so that's her, right, her fundamental claim is that whatever else you say about the, um, about the culture of, um, of where Avram came from, it's Ovdeh but it's a culture in which, so far as we can tell, men and women have, um, have equal voices. Sarah is always Avram's equal. She, right, she has a lot of fun building on uh, right, Abraham. Right, Abraham does cure for the men, and Sarah does cure for the women. So Sarah's an equal partner. Everything, right? Everything that Sarah says, listen to her voice. Um, and when we get to when we get to uh, when Eliezer gets there, right? So Rivka runs to her mother. Right, her mother and her brother respond when Eliezer wants to take her away, uh, which you know, which requires the midrash to claim that Betul died because where did Betul go? But maybe just sometimes the father's focus on his mother's book. Right? She doesn't um, she doesn't bring that up, right? But that's that's her underlying theory. Uh, and our only theory is that all the all the other places where Avraham goes shows that women are treated entirely as objects. Uh, now we pointed out that there's a weakness in that presentation. The weakness in that presentation is that uh, actually Avraham seems only to feel a need to pretend that Sarah is his uh, Sarah is his sister outside of Eretz Israel, uh, outside of of of, uh, of of his usual places in Canaan. Um, but on the other hand, maybe, um, but you know, we did have the line, right, where Abraham says, as soon as, um, right, as soon as, um, God left, you know, caused me to leave my father's house, then I immediately had to tell Sarah, you better pretend you're my sister, because otherwise, right, this is going to go badly. Um, so we could claim that maybe Abraham, it's only when Abraham was actually settled, so 
all these places had rules that protected locals, but they didn't fundamentally um, right, give women independence, independent choices, or see women as independent of, of uh, is anything other than the property of men. And so that's her claim, right? And that what Avram looks for, right? She has a, this beautiful line where she says, um, uh, here, um, Avram was so happy, so complacent, right? So uh, felt so fortunate because his wife had equal privileges with him. And that atmosphere, the egalitarian atmosphere, accompanied him throughout, right, throughout his life. Right, so he sought the same for his son out of the goodness of his heart. Uh, right, he was just uh, horrified by the um, by the downtroddenness, right, by the lack of self-esteem of the Canaanite women. Uh, right, who were totally trained in, right, trained and bounded by by submission. as he saw in Canaan, and that's why he tells Right, you have to go back home to get a wife for Yitzchak because I want Yitzchak to have a wife who is his equal. Right, so that's a that's a very large narrative uh, narrative narrative claim. Uh, it does have a uh, it does have the strength that it enables you to say that what enabled Avram to leave his house right and this is in direct contrast to something Deborah argues right Deborah argues that the base of Eve, uh right isn't really fulfilled until Sarah dies because Sarah is the last vestige of Avram's Beit Av in um, in Esther Rubinstein's reading the only I think the only reason that Avram can leave his Beit Av is because he brings Sarah along with him. And so he says, okay, now I'm going to leave Yitzchak. Yitzchak has to have the same degree of support. Okay, right, so that's, a, I think, a very a very big picture, high concept um, reading of the text. Uh, it, yes? Sorry, Bob, can I defend myself just for a second? Okay, uh, okay go ahead. Uh, true. Ah, okay, Katul Hashlishi, that uh, it's Avraham's mistake. Sarah should have told him. <laughs> and he shouldn't know that he thought that. Hey, now we're getting, get, making marriage very, very complicated. Maybe she doesn't know either. Okay, interesting. Okay, so let's, uh, right, so we can so we can try and put them together. We can uh, reconcile reconcile the Rebbitsons, I guess, on this one. Um <laughs> And uh, okay, so you take that. I, I think it's still a, uh, I think it's still a reach. Uh, I think it's still a reach to uh, to make the claim that that's really what the narrative is about. But it goes further than any than any of the uh, any of the Rishonim I've seen is that um, is then in at least trying to come a big picture narrative. Okay, so I want to I wanted to argue uh, a different big picture narrative as follows. Uh, I wanted to argue that. The way Chazal set up the culture that Avram flees from, right, which they build on a Shirasetika Megur Kastim, is that Avram leaves a culture which is intolerant of monotheism and moves to a culture which is tolerant of monotheism. Right? We know that the culture we know that the culture Avram moves to is tolerant of, mono, of tolerant of his religion because of Melchizedek. 
and right, and and the plishtim come and they make an oath by his god. So nobody seems to have any problem with Avram's brand of religion in uh, in Canaan. And Chazal read it that the culture that Avram left was a culture which had a very deep problem with his religion. Uh, right to some extent, this is built uh, off the uh, the um, trafim of Rachel later. So we know it, right, that that uh, depicts it as a specifically of a Zara culture to some degree. It's built up or kastim. Let's assume for now that we can um, that we can model that it's not a it's not a bad you know just prima facie case to say that if you tell somebody they have to leave a leave a culture, it's because that culture uh, is somehow intolerant of what they're supposed to represent. And then you move to Canaan. So here's where you know, I'm going to say you know say something that you know that that will have obvious. Um, contemporary resonances, and you have to decide for yourself: a, how strong do you think the resonances are, and b, do you think that the the fact of the resonances is a good argument for the Dvartara or against the Dvartara? Um, so, if Avram has to leave, let's say Haran, um, because of his intolerance, and he comes to Canaan because of his tolerance, but then he goes back and gets a wife from the place which was. Intolerant, that's an interesting right, that's an interesting phenomenon. So the the solution to this, I think the, the core of the whole narrative to me has to be that Pasuk, Kilo that the sin of the Amorites is not um, is not yet complete. So what is it that characterizes a culture which in the moment is perhaps a better culture than the ones around it, um, but has no um, has no sustainability, right? It's a culture that you can look at it and you can say, I know that in four generations, this culture is going to be, uh, right? This culture, this culture is going to be, um, is going to be gone. Um, so the, um, yeah. So what I want to argue is that um, the kind of culture about which you can say that is a culture whose only principle is tolerance. Um, and that really there are, right, there are two models, there are two models for, uh, for, for homogeneity. Uh, one model for homogeneity is totalitarianism, which is the model that Chazal attribute to, uh, Chazal attribute to Nimrod. And the other model is plural, relativism or plural, plural, pluralism that is extreme. Both forms of culture Eventually eliminate, uh, eventually eliminate diversity, um, and they eventually end. Uh, they eventually end. They eventually end in. Um, they they make continuity impossible, right? That extreme multiculturalism ends, right? Ends the continuity of every culture because of everybody is exposed to every culture. No one belongs to any of them, and that right. What continues is only this homogeneous culture, just like intolerance, um, tends to wipe out all the cultures that are conflicting. And then I wanted to argue that. Marriage and the whole purpose of, of what's going on in Avram's family is the attempt to create continuity. And in the attempt to create continuity, what matters, right, a core thing is it's not enough to marry somebody who agrees with you in the sense that they think that what you're doing is fine, but has no more commitment to it than to anything else. Uh, right? And that's what Canaanite culture represents. It's a culture. In, you know, if we want to really make the you know, parallels really strong, we could say it's a culture in the phase, something like what Russ Duthat in the New York Times calls decadence. Uh, it can be a perfectly fine culture, but you know, 
you know what it's you know what his timeline uh, what his timeline is, and so it seems to me that you know the only way I can come the only at this point the only big picture answer that I have as to why Avram has to dafka send for a wife back from a place which worships the Vodazara is that for Yitzchak to build a sustainable culture, his wife has to agree in principle that we're going to believe in something, and then he can try to persuade her to believe the right thing. Um, but if he marries somebody who the conversation doesn't even start because the notion of believing in something is alien, um, right? And she'll agree with everything he says because why not? Because right, uh, unless he says something which is intolerant, uh, perhaps. And even then, right? You know, then you know if she's sophisticated. She'll have read all the stuff about or would be tolerant of intolerance, and have found a way around that. So that that seems to me right to be something which has some account, right? Some account it explains why. Avram is comfortable in Canaan. Nobody ever critiques Avram. Right? There are moral difficulties in Canaan, which is always a difficulty in a, in a, you know, when you when you when you engage in cultural relativism. So you always have to figure out what are your boundaries, right? To what extent do you feel compelled to intervene when a culture goes really off the rails and is cruel to its internal members? Do we say, okay, we don't interfere in the internal affairs of another state because we're cultural relativists, or do you say that no, this there there are boundaries? But fundamentally in Canaan, no one has a problem with Avram. So why do we have a problem with them? The only thing we can say is that we have, you know, is that the issue is that they don't have a problem with Avram, but they don't have a problem with Snow either. Right? They just think that every culture has the right to its internal determination, and that um, what Avram is most afraid of with um, with Yitzchak is that uh, he doesn't want Yitzchak to go back to a place which will make it impossible for him. We'll have to fight and he'll have to leave eventually anyway. That doesn't make any sense. We're just starting over. But he doesn't want Yitzchak to assimilate in the sense of marrying somebody for whom his his choice is just one equal choice among others with no standard. Okay, that's the end of what I have to say. So now I'll take uh, responses and critiques or alternative theories. It's possible you're all shouting at muted mics. Or <laughs> uh, not. Okay. So if not, then I encourage um, everybody to email me with ideas or come. Um, we should mention, right, that uh, Deborah and I have um, have a bunch of chairs uh, right around our house that you can stay at a safe social distance and come talk to her or other things if you want. People are welcome to wander by our house on Shabbos afternoon. And if we're on the porch, we're happy to engage in that dialogue and follow up with the director specifically if you so wish. Uh, okay, Jane, do you have something you want to say? Yeah, I just wanted to say that um, I enjoyed listening to you because I don't have a lot of problems that I have. That's an awesome reaction. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> I make, somebody says I make them think that's about as, as successful as I get as a pedagogue in my head. Uh, so uh, thank you very much. All right. So that if, if there's somebody else, um, then thank you all very much. And I will look forward to uh, seeing you here uh, next Thursday night, if not before that in person or on email. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom.